Father in heaven, uh, many hearts are uh, burdened and have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety because of the many changes. And so we ask that tonight's uh, program and presentations and questions and answers um, could be helpful to people not only here, uh, but uh, across the street and, ar and around the world as well. We thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. Dr. Nedley. Testing, yeah. Thank you. It's good to be with you uh, this evening again. And uh, as uh, there's a few times when I've had to um, uh, go out uh, for certain things in the last um, week, and I can see that the individuals that we've interfaced with are faced with a lot of anxiety even the ones that have to be out in public or have to be at the hospital and things. There's a lot of anxiety among the hospitalists uh, that are treating um, patients, a lot of anxiety among the emergency room workers. Uh, and of course, the, uh, um, with what has transpired here that no one could really foresee, uh, I would call it a planetary wake-up call. Uh, and it's been a planetary wake-up call in regards to what is important. Whenever there's crises that are affecting the world, we have to actually decide what are the most important things in life. And uh, our country has made some of those decisions for us. They've decided the most important thing, even more important than the economy, more important than competitive sports, more important than us being touchy-feely with each other, uh, more important uh, than uh, we could have a whole host of things, even more important than churches staying opened, is health and life. And so uh, that is clearly their number one in, uh, a priority. And it's even... Um, Precedented and, and taken precedence over mental health because mental health issues have actually not improved during this time. Mental health issues have actually worsened. We have more anxiety than ever before. We have more uh, panic than ever before. Panic disorder is rising. And soon to rise along with this are going to be the traumas and post-traumatic stress disorder, which is another form of anxiety disorder um, that's also going up. And, uh, you know, some people have asked uh, us, we have been on the uh, media uh, here and there, and there's been a lot of questions that have resulted uh, from that, but uh, anxiety um, how would you define anxiety? Anyone want to try to give a, a stab at it? Worry? Okay, yeah, it involves worry. Uh, that's a, a pretty good synonym. Uh, and uh, is it always bad to worry? No? There's actually some times when it can be good to worry. 
In fact, what would be good worry? Anyone want to give us a, a try at that? What would be a, uh, an example of worry for good? I'm, uh, you know, there's a number of students that are here. Do you think it might be important for you to worry before a test? <laughs> All right, some say, well, maybe a little bit. Uh, you certainly want to worry far enough in advance to prepare for that test. And if you have no worry and you're just thinking that everything's going to be fine no matter what you do or no matter what happens, uh, you could have an individual wake-up call uh, that could be, you know, uh, fraught with pretty severe consequences. And so uh, worry that we can do something about and actually uh, change our behavior in a way to help us improve our odds in conquering a future fear can actually be a good thing. But anxiety is when the worry is excessive. This is when it is out of proportion. And uh, some people who are staying in, you know, one of the uh, challenges, I can tell you in regards to hospitalists that are treating this disease, is uh, when they go home, uh, some of them are actually sleeping in their garages. They have kids, they have wives, no contact with them because of fear that their loved ones might somehow come across a COVID uh, virus that they themselves uh, might be carrying unknowingly. Of course, they're taking all the precautions. You know, they're, they're armed with all this uh, personal protective equipment uh, whenever they're doing things, but we know that personal protective equipment that's worn, maybe not quite right or whatever, there could be, uh, you know, a very small chance that something is around, but that small chance could actually take a toll uh, on the wife or loved one. I heard one of the governors uh, this week stating that this was a tremendous experiment to send people home from school during COVID-19. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, we're, uh, since this is a new virus we're talking about in medicine, we like to talk about evidence-based. But when it's a new virus, there's no evidence-based. You have to go on physiology, you have to go on how things work and those type of things, but based on those things, schools were, were closed, schools were shut down, college students were sent home, and many of them were sent home to parents and grandparents, three generations. And which of those would be most at risk for succumbing? It'd be the grandparents, and they could actually get the disease on the way home from school that they would not necessarily have gotten, or if they did get it while they were at school, far less likely to be as adverse consequences when they hang out with primarily the younger age group uh, and those sorts of things. And so the governor said, this was a tremendous experiment. We may have done the wrong thing. And this may be one of the reasons why the disease is increasing in certain areas because of, of that um, side of things. So there's, 
There's worry that may, we may, might make wrong, some wrong uh, choices here. And, uh, and then often it goes into what we call magical worry. There's many people with anxiety that have magical worry. Magical worry goes like this. I must worry about COVID-19, otherwise I'm going to get it. Now, is that true? No. Now, we want to be able to worry about it enough to have personal protective equipment, to do things that are going to decrease our likelihood if we do get the disease, to have our immune systems in good shape. So if that worry results in changes in behavior that increase our likelihood, then it can. But worry by itself, just preventing it from occurring, is nonsense. But there are a lot of people that actually believe that. It's completely irrational, but we have many people that come to our program with anxiety that have this magical worry. And they believe they have to worry about things. They have to remind themselves to worry about things. Otherwise, those things are going to happen. Uh, they don't necessarily change their behavior at all about it. Uh, but uh, that, of course, is actually going to suppress the immune system, is actually going to cause some uh, a greater likelihood of more irrational thinking. It can cause some frontal lobe suppression, and we're actually less likely when we have magical worry to actually change our behaviors in ways that can be healthy for us uh, because we're relying on the magical worry uh, and not necessarily uh, that change in, in behavior. So uh, tonight we wanted to give the opportunity uh, for those also watching uh, via um, internet. I know uh, there aren't, um, it's very rare to have public meetings like this in America today. We're probably one of the very few places that has a public meeting and uh, of over 10 people. Uh, but we do have social distancing. And it's not the number of people per se, but it's the social distancing that is the important uh, part of things. And uh, as long as that social distancing is there, uh, you know, I think I mentioned um, uh, last night on the media my wife actually came home from Oklahoma on Wednesday, and there's a lot of fear in travel today. And it turns out that it's actually the best time to travel because there's nobody at the airport. There are no lines. You can keep social distancing completely, even with the TSA agents. And then you get on the plane, it was a big 737, 19 people on the airplane. And so there's wide social distancing expanses. And of course, the flight attendants are, are uh, giving you uh, policies and rules so that they don't have to touch anything with their hands. And so, you know, you have to get your tray down yourself and, and uh, have all those precautions and things like that. And she was coming from an area, uh, Dallas, Texas, that's lower on the scale. There's about 10 counties in America that are exploding right now with COVID-19. But that's um, Oklahoma and Texas is not one of those at this point that's totally exploding. So she was from an, an area where it was low endemic uh, possibilities necessarily of getting on that plane. 
And I figured out the chance of her actually getting COVID was less than one in a million on that flight. Now, when America opens back up again, there'll probably be a greater chance when people are, when the government officials are actually say, now you can travel. Uh, there might actually be a greater likelihood because uh, there's going to be more people. It's going to not be as possible to have social distancing. And COVID-19 is not going to be wiped off this planet in three weeks uh, or whenever the country opens back up again. Uh, it's still going to be in places and it still can spread and still do some issues. And yes, it is scary when you see the reports. You know, I, uh, I saw a written report from an emergency room physician in New Orleans, uh, which is one of those counties that's, that's hugely increasing in exponential amounts. And this disease is insidious. It starts out not too bad at all. And it starts out and you think you're actually in pretty good shape. You kind of have a cold, you want to be checked out, and then they do your saturation and you don't think you're short of breath at all and the saturation is much lower than it's supposed to be. Big giant clue that this pneumonitis is going on. And sometimes it is asymptomatic even though there are consequences going on. One individual came in with a fractured humerus and had to have a CT scan done. And on the CT scan, they found the pneumonia. No cough or anything, but the pneumonia was actually a COVID-19 pneumonia. And then as your body's starting to fight this off because it's slow and insidious and it takes a while, the body can actually go into a cytokine storm where it's saying, I'm not able to rid myself of this virus very readily, and so I'm going to throw everything at it and your immune system ends up destroying your own lung tissue in trying to fight this virus. And uh, that's how the deaths are occurring with acute respiratory distress syndrome. And, and, uh, and so doctors are being told how to look for this and how to catch them before they get to that stage. And ventilators are saving lives and there may be a shortage of ventilators. But in reality, at least in some places, I heard New York, there might be a shortage um, uh, currently. Um, and, but, you know, to hear about these things, yes, it's important for me as a hospitalist because I can be treating this in our local hospital to know all of the signs and, and symptoms and those sorts of things. But for somebody else who's not a hospitalist, who's not going to be treating it that way, to be reading all of these detailed reports and hearing about ventilator shortages, there isn't really anything they can do about that. And this actually is not good for them. This is why we are recommending you actually have a media fast for many hours a day uh, where you're not even looking at the latest report. And it's kind of hard not to because every time you log on, there's a new story about COVID-19 out there. There's a new, um, you know, a new state that is closed down. Or there's a, a new piece of uh, information in regards to what might be happening in New York. Did the deaths in New York surpass 100 today? You know, all of those things, this changing environment. Uh, and it turns out that this is fueling the anxiety significantly. And so with this crisis, as we readjust and put those top priorities in place, this disappointment could actually become a great appointment for us individually and also maybe even as a nation. Uh, and so uh, what, are, what should be those 
um, top priorities. Um, certainly, good nutrition needs to be part of it. Uh, that big New START acronym, exercise, aerobic exercise in the outdoors, uh, sunlight, uh, being out in fresh air, uh, being, staying well hydrated, and also using water externally. Uh, some of you that have stayed on campus, uh, many of you have taken place in the hydrotherapy treatments. Let me see a raise of hands. How many of you have had hydrotherapy treatments here in the last week? I think just about every hand has gone up. Uh, and uh, uh, in fact, today, I have heard that one gender is surpassing another gender when it comes to hydrotherapy options here. Uh, and uh, you might um, uh, guess, for those of you that are watching by internet, uh, which gender is scheduling themselves more for these spa treatments uh, versus the other gender. But um, uh, in fact, um, uh, one of the uh, uh, students recommended that there should be a competition and, um, and she mentioned it'd be a competition because she's worried that if COVID-19 comes on this campus that the males are going to succumb to it first. Uh, and, uh, and she likes the males here. And so she doesn't want to see you um, get under the weather and diseased and all those sorts of things. And so uh, I actually uh, texted the head of the COVID-19 committee to see if in, with all this seriousness, maybe we could put together a friendly competition. And they had such a serious meeting that day, he forgot to read it to the COVID-19 committee. Uh, and so, but we might have an official um, uh, aspect of things. Some were asking, well, what would the winners get? And um, we suggested maybe one meal without social distancing. But, uh, but if that's the case, uh, they might actually um, be more likely to spread the disease among themselves and not have that spa treatment be as effective as it would otherwise. So that doesn't seem to be the right, um, the right answer to it. Uh, but the COVID-19 committee has been very wise in doing a lot of things. I think they'll be wise in coming up uh, with the prize and hopefully uh, everyone can take advantage of this uh, hydrotherapy aspect of things. But before I close this section, we are going to open it up for some questions, and we also have Dr. Binus um, in the lineup. Uh, welcome, Dr. Binus. Uh, you're one of the um, very few people that is allowed on this campus that doesn't live here, but we only allow that when you're going to be uh, presenting to online audiences and that's why some of our teachers that live on off campus are also allowed on <laughs> to give that as well. But uh, uh, it's a special privilege to have you here tonight. But uh, a couple of examples of old examples regarding anxiety. One individual that had severe anxiety and panic to the place where his knees were knocking was Belshazzar. What had led up to his anxiety? Okay, now Belshazzar, did he like to have fun? Oh yeah, yeah, he liked to have fun. He was a fun-loving young man, and he wanted to, um, you know, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, and even go to uh, extremes in regards to sexual freedom and those sorts of things in groups 
in order to have his fun. Uh, do you think that might have led to the point where he had anxiety? It actually does. You know, when we're doing fun things just for the sake of it being fun, without it actually being healthy, particularly when it's unhealthy, we're setting ourselves up for anxiety down the road. And a lot of people sacrifice their health for momentary fun, and it's going to cost them down the road. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, was he interested in a devotional life and being a moral person? No. No interest in devotion. In fact, he was very sacrilegious um, and very um, caustic uh, to individuals who had uh, a faith in God. Uh, and uh, do you think that might have been one of the prerequisites or, or uh, the preconditions that were there to set up for his anxiety? I think so. Uh, because the devotional life will enhance our frontal lobe, can enhance our rational thinking. And as we attempt to live a moral life that is healthy for everybody around us, it can make a big difference. Uh, and uh, then there were events that occurred. Uh, COVID-19 was being written on the wall, uh, but it, was, um, it wasn't COVID-19. It was something that he couldn't understand, and then he had to bring in an interpreter. Uh, and uh, the severe anxiety in that whole process, that fear of what was coming, and he had been telling everyone to be secure, to not be fearful, but when there was a crisis, he totally broke down himself. And uh, it's interesting, the one who translated it probably should have been the most fearful because he was, gowned, he was clothed with a purple robe and he was the only one who looked like the king of Babylon that night. And his life was spared, though, because his trust was in God. Belshazzar didn't look like the king but uh, he was indeed um, uh, destroyed along with um, his um, leaders and a, a whole new world empire um, took over. We have other examples of individuals who had anxiety and didn't necessarily handle it in the best way. Do you think Elijah ever had anxiety? You know, Elijah was not like Belshazzar where he just wanted to do fun things. He was not into fun for the sake of fun. He was into being a moral person. He was into a devotional life. But when the threats came that his life was going to be taken by Jezebel within 24 hours, he had an anxiety attack. And he took off running. It wasn't just an anxiety attack, at least he did something about it, and he took off to save his life. And then 30 days later, he was asking God to take his life. Because the anxiety then went into deep depression. We often see uh, one fuel the other. Uh, and uh, he actually thought his life was worthless useless at this point, he had no purpose more in life, and he just asked God that he would take his life. And 
God had to put him on a depression and anxiety recovery program. He was wanting to be in the dark, all by himself, isolated. He wasn't going to get COVID-19 out there. There wasn't anyone else to touch him. But yet, he was depressed and anxious. And God had to tell him, get out of that cave, get into the light. The angels came and fed him food. I think there was some flaxseed in that meal. We talked about N-acetylcysteine earlier uh, on uh, one of the programs. We're getting a lot of questions about N-acetylcysteine, but cysteine is present in edamame, those green soybeans. There may have been some green soybeans there uh, for some calming effects of N-acetylcysteine. It can not only help our immune system, it actually can also affect Uh, positively affect our mental health. Uh, And, uh, of course, there's other um, foods that can help out with that as well. Lentils uh, is another one, and there are certain uh, seeds, uh, chia seeds, that are quite high in it as well as sunflower seeds uh, that are high in cysteine. And the grain uh, oats actually are very high in it, as well as a grain called kamut. Uh, which is uh, very high in cysteine. And so uh, there was some food that was being served to Elijah to help balance his brain. And there was, uh, he was exercising. He was told to actually exercise and get out and exercise. He had to be in that sunlight, had to be in fresh air. But what finally helped Elijah through his anxiety, that was a setup for his brain to start getting better. But what eventually helped Elijah was called cognitive behavioral therapy, something that works today, cognitive behavioral therapy. And who gave him the cognitive behavioral therapy? God himself. He had a little therapy session with him. He let him talk. What's going on? What is going on in your life? How are you feeling, Elijah? And he went into all of the bad. And he even said, the first time he said it, God let him get by with it, he said something that was actually wrong. He believed it, but it was a lie. And when we start believing lies, we're going to have problems with our mental health eventually. And the lie that Elijah believed, what was it? I'm the only one that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. How could he have said that more accurately? I'm the only one I know of. Yeah, that would have been more appropriate. But he just knew he was the only one. And the second time he said it, God didn't let him get by with it. He said, that's actually wrong. You're wrong by a factor of what? Not just a little bit wrong. Wrong by a factor of 7,000. And then through that cognitive behavioral therapy and getting those irrational thoughts rational, he then gave him three things to do that Elijah did not want to do. But he trusted God enough to do them. And did he recover from his anxiety? He totally recovered. And he actually established the school of the prophets. Some of the greatest things he did were after that time period. And Elijah, we're told, in the Bible, was translated without seeing death. What does that tell us? 
That tells us that God has tremendous sympathy and compassion for those that have depression and anxiety. And he wants them to be able to get out of it. He wants them on the lifestyle to get out of it, and he wants them to subject their thoughts to him, let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth come in and provide comfort, and what a difference it can make, not only in the way we're feeling, but in our uh, productivity, in our success and fulfillment, and uh, of course, uh, we will feel better with all of that, of having that rational brain, even under the most trying of circumstances. And I can tell you COVID-19 is not the last trying circumstance coming across this country or coming across the world. There are more to come. And there may be things a lot more serious. There's a lot of nice things about COVID-19. It doesn't kill the majority of people. You know, it doesn't even kill the majority of 80-year-olds. It kills far too many. But there are pestilences that will kill just about anybody. There are viruses so virulent that no matter how healthy you are, you're not going to be able to fight them off. Uh, you know, it could have been a virus like that. Uh, it, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of worse things that can come uh, on us. But this one had enough uh, mercy uh, and, um, and not so bad things that I think we can utilize this as a significant planetary wake-up call to get back to our number one priorities and live those number one priorities. And uh, also, it's forcing families together. Uh, One of the things that I saw that was increasing during this time, and it's really sad to see it, but some families being together in a household is not good. And what they're saying is that family traumas are now going significantly up. They're cooped up in the same building and they have emotional issues and they start to fight and they uh, start to go through through things like this. There were even some celebrities this week I saw that were cooped up and they had major fights. Uh, And uh, it, um, this is, uh, this is really another wake up call that we need to prioritize the things that are healthy for us, as well as prioritize how we get along with others and to uh, actually be selfless in our relationships. What can we do to be a help to others during this time and a help to family members? And that'll go a long way at preventing these fights. So, uh, Don, I don't know if he has some questions or what's next up, but uh, go ahead. Um, yes. Let's put some chairs here, one for Dr. Nedley and one for Dr. Binus, two wise men tonight. <laughs> and then I also have some questions, and we're thankful that Dr. Daniel Binus is with us tonight from Beautiful Minds, um, which is a great mental health uh, a great mental health um, organization here in Auburn, California. And he might say a few things, and then I have some questions that have come in, and I'll just rapid fire these questions to you guys um, after you have a few remarks, and then we'll just, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you. Well, it's nice to get out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've been cooped up like a lot of uh, people, and 
Um, you know, it's been a very interesting uh, couple weeks, especially the last week, and um, I'm thankful for Dr. Nedley's wisdom. You know, he, he has a lot of the wisdom with the medical aspect, and I really appreciate that. And I have to be frank and say, I don't know a whole lot about COVID-19, but <laughs> what I do know about is that there is a lot of fear and panic going on, like Dr. Nudley mentioned. And that's really, well, my focus here over the last couple of weeks has been uh, very, very busy in two areas. And one of those areas is uh, dealing with people that have a lot of panic, anxiety, and some people with uh, overt depression related to this. So actually, uh, even though a lot of industries have slowed down, what do you think is happen happening to the mental health industry? <laughs> We're getting very busy. And, you know, at first there was kind of this, this shock and people didn't know what to do because they, they were like, okay, should I go to my psychiatry appointment or my counseling appointment? Um, and so they were tending to stay home or cancel appointments. Everyone was just kind of in this state of disbelief, and, and uh, a lot of people just kind of froze. But now it's like the floodgates have, have opened, and, and people are really reaching out uh, for help. And, of course, many people are afraid to leave their, their homes. But fortunately, with psychiatry, you don't have to do much of a physical exam, right? <laughs> and so... Because of that, uh, we are able to do phone visits and uh, televisits, um, so we're, we're doing a lot of online uh, video visits, and that's actually been uh, very helpful. Um, I like to at least be able to look at the person, because that does uh, tell you a lot about their mental condition. Um, the other, so I said there was two things that were preoccupying me. The other big thing is that we had our third child born <laughs> in the midst of all of this, so, Congratulations. thank you. <laughs> we are very grateful. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, <laughs> she, she, you know, we didn't plan it to happen in, in the midst of a, a, a catastrophe like this, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess we can say she's really a princess, uh, the, corona, <laughs> the Corona princess. No, <laughs> that's a, a, a bad joke. She's, but for what we're very thankful for is that um, she was actually able to be born at home. Uh, so we were able to, wow. she was born March 16. Uh, we already had planned to do a home birth, and so we had two midwives there. And, and so she's actually never left uh, our home. And I think that's uh, good, uh, given the circumstances right now. So um, I, I fortunately um, haven't had a lot of, chance to get panicked by all the news. <laughs> now, that, that being said, I found out yesterday that uh, my um, uncle in Germany actually um, got coronavirus, and actually the whole family ended up getting COVID-19. Um, he's actually in the hospital right now because he already had a uh, um, chronic bronchitis that was going on. His immune system wasn't very good. Um, he, he seems to be getting a little bit better. He's not on a ventilator, so we're thankful for that. But please uh, keep him in your prayers. And, and so you can start to, you start to see the effect. This, you know, when, it, when it's just kind of out there, it's one thing, right? But when it starts to hit personally, 
then it starts to have more of a, an emotional impact. And so that's where we really need to think about what are the things that can really help us to deal with these sorts of situations. And especially when it's something that is largely out of our control, I mean, there are elements here that we can uh, do to minimize the impact, but there's a lot here that really is out of our control, right? So then the question starts becoming, how can we deal with, the, with those things? Of course, the physical things, uh, you know, some a lot of people, I think, and this is a, a, a defense mechanism that a lot of people use, will start hyper-focusing and obsessing about all of the, the physical things that need to be done or could be done. But what that can sometimes do is create such a panic that it can almost work, be counterproductive and of course, people start having problems with anxiety, like Dr. Nedley already mentioned. And what, what do you think that starts to do to not only people's mental health, but also their physical health? Mm -hmm. In other words, it can start affecting their sleep, for example. And do you think you need sleep for your immune system? You better, you better, but, but yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it can start affecting the um, ability of the immune system itself uh, to function properly and ward off infection. Actually, one of the most um, common uh, reasons that people get sick is chronic stress. And so people, by consuming so much media, by thinking, and, and it's not just the media consumption, it's, it's where your mind is even, because you could only look at one story because, you know, oftentimes people are saying, okay, just check media once a day, right? <laughs> Which is great, but if you then think about that media story all day and you're obsessing about it and you can't get it out of your mind, you're thinking about how this un unseen uh, um, um, virus is, is, could be anywhere and it, it creates this sense of hypervigilance. Uh, the obsessive negative thoughts, catastrophizing, and uh, it really takes a life of its own on if you don't have much to focus on. And that's really where I see the biggest problems is when people actually are at home, they feel like they have really very little else to focus on, and then it just takes off. The ones that actually seem to be uh, functioning the, the best are those people that have positive distractions uh, in, in, in their life and positive things to, to keep their mind busy. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that I, I want to mention, then I want to uh, turn it over to, to Don to uh, get us started on some questions, is that I expected that uh, the people, some of my patients that have chronic depression and anxiety that often keeps them cooped up at home because they uh, have the social anxiety, they're afraid to go out, they're afraid to interact with other people because of what other people might think about them, or um, because they just um, have chronic feelings of worthlessness. And what, what, what I thought was very interesting, so, okay, so what I expected is that these people would be off the wall panicking, right? They would just be completely non-functional. But what I've actually found is the opposite is true. Some of these people in the midst of all of this crisis are actually getting better. <laughs> Some of the worst cases that I have. Why do you think that might be? 
<laughs> yeah, well, the, the, so, there, so, so the reason that, I, at least part of the reason, I think, is that, and, and they've, some of them have actually articulated this to me, is that I now, I'm used to being isolated, but now that everyone else is isolated, I actually have a greater sense of connection <laughs> with <laughs> other people <laughs> because I have a sense that, wow, I, other people are also in the same, same boat as me. And they, <laughs> yes, and I, I, I'm a, pro a professional at this. And oh, that reminds me, yes, uh, you know, I was talking to one OCD patient actually, and he said, hey, this is really not a big deal because I'm, <laughs> I am totally practiced for this. I'm al al always avoiding touching people and, and getting germs and I'm an excellent hand washer and all of these things. So he, he was actually <laughs> feeling very positive about the whole thing. <laughs> now society is affirming what he believes. That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. He, he actually said that. He said, this is actually affirms. <laughs> so it was actually, <laughs> that's right. It was making him feel better. So. Anyhow, I'll hand it over to you, Don. Okay, uh, thank you for those of you that have been sending in questions. Um, and we have it on the screen. Were you concerning questions? Is that right? Live at weimar.org, is that correct? So if you do want to email them, they'll come right to my email, and then I'm making a decision right here about who gets asked this question, okay? So these questions have come in in two types, medical-type questions and kind of psychiatric-type questions, which is a, a branch of medicine. And I know both of you have uh, experience in medicine, but I would say, uh, Dr. Denley, I'm going to give you some more of the medical ones. I'm going to give you some more of the psychiatric Please, ones. Please, like I already said. <laughs> okay, this is right here from our community. Uh, I can tell it probably came from a community, uh, the website, uh, tciweimar.org. Um, I, I have due dates with property taxes, court hearings. I can't get answers from Placer County Courts, and, uh, you know, whether or not they're business as usual or they're closed or... Or, or what, what should I do? I'm upset because I'm contacting my bank and, and uh, no, there's no real answers coming and so my answers are not being addressed. Um, and will people be ac accused if they don't meet deadlines? How, how can, can I not let these kind of things build up, all this tension? So he's saying, you know, that's what's happening and how do I, I'm getting stressed out, what do I do? So what would you say to, to JK? Well, I don't know 100% what all the repercussions if we don't meet the deadlines, but what I do know is that just about every government uh, organization um, is relaxing their um, regulations. And uh, for example, normally the insurance companies won't pay for phone visits, uh, only for televisits and face-to-face uh, -face visits. And and yet, in this crisis, they've actually been mandated that you need to relax those uh, restrictions and, and, and then think about the, the tax uh, due date. That's been actually postponed for, for three months uh, to July. And, and so I, I, I would be pretty sure if, if, you've, if you're doing your best to meet your deadlines and all of this that I think for the most part the government is going to be um, understanding for people that are honestly doing the best they can. Um, but, you know, getting back to the, the stress and how to actually cope with that, um, you know, the, again, this, this is going back to how do we deal with uh, certain things that are really out of our control. And um, what, when I think about dealing with stress, I, I think about two main categories. 
this is a psychology 101 sort of teaching point. There's problem-focused coping with stress, and then there's emotion-focused coping with stress. So let me use an example. So if you have an upcoming uh, test, then and you're feeling stressed about it, you're feeling appropriately worried, right? Then a emotion-focused coping with uh, um, way way of dealing with that would might be saying, okay, well I'm gonna go on a run, or I'm gonna eat some ice cream, or I'm gonna talk to a friend. So you're dealing with the emotional aspect of the stress to alleviate that, but you're not dealing with the underlying problem. Okay, problem-focused coping would actually be saying, I'm gonna study for the test, and so. Now, in that situation, hopefully you would use the stress energy primarily for studying for the test. But you might also use some of the other coping. And with just about every problem that we face, we want to use a combination of those. I mean, we definitely want to use the problem-focused coping. So, we, in other words, we want to actually address the underlying issue the best we can. But with something like this, um, you know, there's a lot here that really you can't do much about. So it is important to find some good emotion-focused uh, coping strategies, and there's a litany of those. I mean, there, the list could go on and on. Um, but one of the things that I think is extremely important, I always tell people when they start our uh, depression, anxiety, um, recovery program there at Beautiful Minds, is that if you want to jumpstart things quicker than, than almost anything else, and you want to really help start diffusing that stress, jumpstart your frontal lobe, what do you think people should do? Exercise, that's right. Exercise is probably the quickest thing that people can do to get that frontal lobe uh, stimulation. And um, you know, nowadays, people often are afraid even to step outdoors, and so they're missing out on a lot of the uh, fresh air, uh, exercise, the sunlight, you know, these new start sort of principles. Um, so I really believe strongly that could be a great coping mechanism for, for dealing with, with stress. And then using cognitive therapy in these sorts of situations is extremely important to put things in perspective. And we can talk, maybe talk a little more about that here shortly. And um, yeah, so I'll start with that. Okay, someone just, uh, just uh, uh, emailed me while you were um, while you were answering for J.K., have them call Placer County Sheriff non-emergency line. So that's another thing you might be able to tell. But you got some good principles there. Thank you for that question, Doctor Nelly. Question for you: How long does the virus stay in the air? Am I at risk when I walk by someone infected with no symptoms and breathe the same air while indoors? Okay, very good question. Actually, uh, this disease is rarely spread by what we call aerosol. It is spread through droplet primarily. And about 97% of the cases are actually um, that where people are getting it or more is actually from touching the virus and then putting that virus um, from their fingers um, up into their mouth uh, or their face or nasal mucosa or things of that nature. The virus itself is, um, is not shown to be transmitted uh, by cough very readily unless it's that cough that where you actually have a spray and a droplet. 
So if you are walking past someone and you're not even within the six feet, maybe it's two feet, and they happen to have the virus and they're asymptomatic, there's no way they're going to be able to spread that to you via air. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and so that's something that can help um, you to you know, feel more comfortable um, as far as being in public. The aerosol um, uh, spread has always been through the cough and that droplet um, uh, portion of things. Uh, so, but it, is, it does help us to be more vigilant in regards to the use of our hands. And I don't know how many of you have ever tried to go an hour without touching your face uh, with your hands. <laughs> uh, it is pretty tough to do. And uh, there have been some experiments uh, being done on individuals that actually think that they've accomplished this. And then we play it back and find out that they actually did. They weren't even thinking about it, and it came there. And so uh, the hand washing, um, particularly when you're out in public and touching surfaces that are unknown that the other public is touching, it would be good to be vigilant then until you can wash your hands. It also is spread through the fecal-oral route as well. This, this uh, virus goes through the GI tract. And so it's very important for people to wash their hands after they toilet. And uh, also, um, this is one of the reasons why we have advised people not to shake hands as well, because you don't know who washed their hands after they toileted and who didn't at the time when they, uh, when they, shake, their, uh, when they shake hands. And I think this is probably something that's going to change in our country uh, from here on out. There's sometimes cultural changes. I think after COVID-19, handshaking will probably not be culturally acceptable uh, anymore uh, as a result of all this. We're going to go to the bow, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might actually become more Asian uh, and uh, have that nice uh, bow aspect of things. Uh, but we need to be a lot more fearful of the droplet than of the aerosol. Yeah, so a pulmonologist that I interviewed this week said that when someone sneezes, what's coming out of that upper respiratory sneeze travels at 100 miles an hour. When someone coughs, it's a deeper thing. It's 50 miles an hour. So this is probably one of the reasons they want you to stay away from someone just in case they erupt with a cough or a sneeze. That's why you don't want to get close to them. And so they, it can tra travel rapidly is the point and can get down into your lungs. It's very small. It's less than, he said, uh, he said it's, your hair is like 500 times thicker than that thing is across. It's very, very tiny. It can r rapidly get down into the, the bottom of your, your lungs. Okay, let's go next, Dr. Dr. Brynas. I have a couple people that are very worried about their children. Um, let me just hear, read these two things. I have, uh, how, uh, I, how do you talk to your young child, eight to 10 year old, about COVID-19? all the deaths that are happening in a way that does not generate fear in their little hearts. And another one said, how can I assure that my kids don't get emotionally scarred by all the fear that's going on? Those are great questions. And, you know, talking with, with children, it, it, it's really important to get on a level that they really, um, and, and, and talk about these things on a level that they can understand in, in their language. And, you know, with, with children, a lot of their response, um, their anxiety level, is, is largely going to be related to the anxiety level of the adults in the household, especially the parents. Um, if they have the sense that the parents are fearful and anxious, uh, 
then that is going to make them fearful and anxious. But if the, the, the children um, have a sense that the parents are actually confident and that, you know, even if we were to, for, as a family, for example, get infected with this illness, that we trust that things will work out the way that God has me- meant it to work out. In other words, that we, we're trusting God through this and there's nothing that we have to fear, then there's going to be a, a sense of peace in the home. And, and so the, the children will absolutely follow the lead of the parents. So I'm not saying we don't talk to you know, our children, but we do it in, in a way that, that in, instills uh, faith and confidence. And you know, not flippantly, again, with going back to the problem-focused coping, we do want to do what we can do to um, avoid getting infected. You know, we do want to take... Uh, measures, um, and and we can explain those things to them. But those me- measures should be done uh, with the right attitude, not with an, an obsessive, fearful, reactive, but more in a, in a proactive. Hey, this is what we need to do right now. But um, we're, it, it, it's it's going to be okay. And 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 part of the lesson here for for children is helping them to understand that even when things don't go the way that we want them to, like, for example, maybe, maybe uh, someone in the family gets really sick, maybe even someone, someone dies, and, you know, that's very unlikely, and, and, and we, I'm not saying you should necessarily bring that up with, with the kids, but they're, if they're already thinking that, then it is important to bring those sorts of things up. You know, it, it's helping them to understand even when things don't go our way, that God still has a plan, good can still come out of this, and there really is nothing to fear. And one of the things I've been telling um, my patients is that the good news is we already know the end of the story. Hmm. And what is the end of the story? Well, the end of the story is that God will make all things right again. He will heal all, all, all manner of disease. There will be no more COVID or any other disease in the end. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So in the end, we already know the end of the story. So why should we be, be in a panic? Thank you for that. Um, how at risk is someone, Dr. Nedley, with an autoimmune disease of COVID-19? Have you heard, what have you heard about this? Well, people with pre-existing conditions are... Uh, more apt to have a serious course if they come across COVID-19. And autoimmune diseases are often treated by immunosuppressants. And so sometimes it's not the autoimmune disease so much as it is the medications they're taking from the autoimmune disease that can actually produce some problems, except for one important exception. Uh, and that is one of the medicines that's used for autoimmune diseases, particularly lupus, is called Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine. It's a, a relative of chloroquine, which was the tr- treatment for malaria. And hydroxychloroquine actually allows zinc to get into your cell at a much greater rate than it would otherwise when zinc is outside uh, the cell. And so, and when zinc comes into the cell and you have a virus in there, zinc actually stops replicates. And so it actually prevents that virus from being replicated uh, in the cell. 
And so um, that actually uh, can end with a story. And of course, there was a, a uh, study out of France which showed that um, uh, hydroxychloroquine actually got rid of the viral load or the, uh, the PCR detection of the virus within six days, where if they didn't use hydroxychloroquine, it didn't do as well. Now, some people are using it may potentially too late in the disease, because since there's a shortage of that now, uh, they're not allowing treatment really until you're already COVID positive. And uh, so uh, we're seeing if it's used too late, it can be a problem. But that would be one exception um, to the medication treatment thing. And so uh, what would you do if you have an autoimmune disease? You still want to do the New START principles. You still want to exercise. You still want to uh, you know, have enough vigilance to avoid it, if at all possible. Um, you want to still utilize the trust and you want to be utilizing natural ways that can help your autoimmune condition and it could uh, potentially help you with COVID-19 as well. Thank you. Um, this is one for Dr. Binus. I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder. I had MRSA about 10 years ago and last year I was hospitalized for 10 days with pneumonia and almost died. I normally very healthy person, never had a flu or cold, but because of my past hospitalization with pneumonia and COVID-19, and the COVID-19 crisis, I'm currently having a lot of trouble managing my anxiety. I'm not a germaphobe, but am pretty vigilant on cleanliness. The anxiety that I'm currently experiencing is made worse because I have two other members of my household that come and go to do essential jobs. If they weren't coming and going, I'd probably be able to handle this a lot better. What do you recommend? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I think one of the best things that we can do um, to actually minimize our obsessiveness is to, 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 to do activities that are truly positive and um, make a difference for, for other people. Uh, sometimes a, a, a big part of anxiety and depression um, actually is related to self-focus. And so one of the best things that people can do is, is do activities that helps, help them to actually focus outside of themselves. Now, that being said, it is helpful to take, a, a, a put a, take aside some, some time where you intentionally focus on your thoughts and trying to figure out if what sorts of thoughts are leading to the emotions. And by doing that, then you can actually see, okay, how accurate are these thoughts? Am I actually thinking about, am I really blowing this out of proportion? Or am I thinking accurately and truthfully? So you know, cognitive therapy uh, techniques. But even that, if you're, if you're just think, you know, overthinking and thinking too much about yourself and are my thoughts accurate or not, that it's not always healthy either. Again, we, I think it's important that people take some intentional time to actually say, you know what, how are other people doing with this? Is there something I can do to actually uh, brighten uh, their life, even if, if it's at a social distance? <laughs> and maybe it might uh, be sending um, some encouraging Bible verses or quotes to, to people that you know might be struggling themselves. Uh, you know, maybe there's people that are, are getting creative and, and uh and, and planning a neighbor, neighborhood picnics, but they're doing it where each, each neighbor is on their own lawn, 
<laughs> so they have you know appropriate social distance, but then they have this ability to to interact in their neighborhood, and they're all having their picnics with their families on on their lawn. So you know those are just some examples of things that people can start doing to actually take the focus away from self and put it on being a blessing to others. There's actually been a lot of studies that have have um, shown that uh, doing thing, great things for, that. well, this, it's interesting. The studies actually show that when people do something nice for you, your mental health improves. But the, the, the studies show that when you do someone something altruistic and nice for somebody else, that the mental health improvement is even greater. So I really think that that can, can often be a great antidote uh, for anxiety. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Nedley, um, there's a number of questions here people have asked about NAC. I'll just ask them all to you at once and then you can figure it out. Can, um, can children take a NAC supplement? What should be the dose? Can NAC damage the lungs and cause cancer? My, um, so uh, you could probably write a couple books here about this. So I'll just give you those two. Yeah, N-acetylcysteine, um, which is um, sometimes called NAC, if you see it in the, in the Weimart, uh, I think it's going to have NAC uh, there or any other health food store. N-acetylcysteine is something that is natural. It's made by our body out of the amino acid cysteine, and it improves glutathione levels. Glutathione is something that we can measure in our blood that is very directly related to how healthy our immune system is. So those with higher glutathione levels um, do not, if they come across viruses, they're much less likely to even develop symptoms. Their body is able to fight it off even before symptoms develop. Uh, they're able to overcome, uh, they're much less likely to even get cancer when their glutathione levels are there because uh, when the glutathione is high, we're going to be more able to recognize an abnormal cancer cell and have the immune system um, destroy it. And uh, it's also a very powerful antioxidant. Uh, and antioxidants we know are healthy across the board. And N-acetylcysteine is actually absorbed in the GI tract, unlike glutathione. Some people say, why not just take glutathione? You can actually buy glutathione over the counter as well. But glutathione actually has to be broken down. And you can't absorb the glutathione and get your glutathione levels up and acetylcysteine is much smaller and it can go into the system and produce this. So can young people uh, take it? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, if they're a small child, maybe 300 milligrams a, a day. If they're an infant, uh, maybe 100 or 200 milligrams if you're wanting to perform some function to help their glutathione levels. You know, kids that are constantly getting infections, often once they start taking NAC, those infections go away and they're not having all of those colds and, and, um, and symptoms uh, anymore. So yes, children can take it. Adults, uh, the studies in adults show 1,200 milligrams a day is what's really healthy in boosting the glutathione levels and might theoretically help us if we were to come across the coronavirus. And can it cause cancer? There was one um, study in, uh, in mice, and it was very uh, questionable on how the design was done. That, in, uh, that showed um, lung cancer could potentially be increased. Actually, it, it seemed to 
not uh, have as healthy, in other words, the anti other antioxidants that would help us prevent lung cancer, the NAC seemed to compete with those, and those healthy antioxidants didn't do as well, and that's how the, um, the higher rate of lung cancer was seen in a mouse model. But that was not at all similar to the doses that humans uh, would utilize. That was more similar to the doses that we would give an NAC if somebody came in with Tylenol toxicity. Uh, uh, there's actually 60,000 lives a year that are saved from NAC to protect your liver from self-damage from Tylenol overdose. Uh, it's also things that we do to protect the kidneys from harmful toxins uh, that help out. This is all, again, based on this glutathione aspect of things. And the fact that it's over-the-counter and so natural makes it easy uh, for us to be able to um, take advantage of that. So uh, do I think it actually increases uh, lung cancer? No. Why do I know that? Because there have been human studies that have been done taking NAC for years in large groups of human beings. It's also used for mental health in preventing dementia. If you have an Alzheimer's gene or if you're at risk of Alzheimer's, NAC can actually prevent you from ever getting the Alzheimer's. You take it early enough. And in those people, they're taking it for years and years, 30 and 40 years, and their rates of lung cancer have not been shown to be any higher than anybody else's. Um, I don't know, but this seems to be really interesting. Three other people emailed me. I'll just say it. I don't know if you want to go more into this. Are there any contradiction, contraindications for using NAC, like, i.e., amalgams? Some have expressed concern that about NAC detoxifying heavy metals like mercury. Um, Anything more that you want to snack on with NAC? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, it does help with, uh, with a number of toxins uh, because of, that, again, that glutathione uh, mechanism. Uh, so um, as far as interactions, uh, the only really drug it interacts with, if we call it a drug, it's another natural agent, is charcoal. And charcoal is going to bind onto the NAC and make the NAC not effective. But uh, we really don't know of any other um, clinical you, interactions. And you that also said that cysteine you can get from plant sources, didn't you say earlier, inamami, you said sunflower seeds, you said chia seeds, you said lentils, you said what? Is that yeah, all? Well, uh, hemp seeds uh, are also uh, high in it. We talked about oats, um, kamut, um, and uh, there are... Um, I'm trying to, there's another uh, black-eyed peas, actually, are a pretty good source. And actually, even higher than black-eyed peas for cysteine is split peas. Split peas are one of the higher sources. So if you're concerned about this supplemental form, you can, yeah, just uh, go natural. There you go. Okay, um, that, back to Dr. Binus. Um, I think Dr. Nelly said this, but I'll have you um, answer it. If Elijah had cognitive behavioral therapy from God to get healed from anxiety and depression, can I get CBT from God? Uh, or do I have to go to a therapist? <laughs> well, that's a good question. <laughs> and the answer is yes and maybe yes. Uh, <laughs> but let's, let's talk about going to a therapist first. Uh, you know, th that, that's an important decision uh, that a lot of people need to, to make. And, and one caution I always uh, give people is you, 
you need to be aware that the person you go see for therapy is going to influence your worldview, your belief system in one way or another, your values. Uh, studies have actually shown that um, whether they talk about you know, their values or, or not, that the clients actually tend to start, whether the therapist talks about their values or not, the client actually starts adopting uh, the values of the therapist. Hmm. And so it is very important that uh, we, if we choose to go to therapy, which I'm a big advocate of when, when, it, when it's needed, uh, because you know a lot of times people get in this mode of where they just feel like they're drowning in their emotions and they cannot see uh, what is clearly truthful or distorted. Um, so it is often very important to have that external input, someone that has an unbiased view of things and can give you uh, truthful feedback. But if we choose to go to therapy, we need to be very, very careful who we do that with. And uh, so I, I highly recommend, you know, if you want to maintain a healthy Christian uh, worldview, then guess who, what kind of therapist you need to look for? A Christian therapist, right? And uh, preferably someone that is well-versed in cognitive therapy, because that really is the um, most evidence-based and successful uh, therapy. So um, with the question about whether I can get therapy from, from God, I think the answer is absolutely yes. Think about the Bible. The Bible is a therapy book. The whole Bible is a beautiful therapy book. And really, because the, like I said, the best type of therapy is helping us to distinguish truth from error. And what does the Bible actually help us do? It helps us to do just that, right? Distinguish truth from error. Now, that being said, the Bible, just reading the Bible by itself is not enough for therapy. What else do we need to do along with reading the Bible to receive therapy from God? We need to pray along with that. Because if we, if we guess who was reading the Bible in Jesus' time, but had very distorted thoughts. The Pharisees, right? They had all sorts of distortions. They were not able to distinguish truth from error when it was staring them in the face. When Christ was speaking the beautiful words of truth, they, they shunned those and they ended up crucifying him. It was those who were open to the working of the Holy Spirit that were humble, that were teachable, that were praying for enlightenment and didn't say, I have it all figured out. Those were the people that were able to get therapy from God himself. <laughs> and, and, of course, at that, that point, Jesus was, was there. But Jesus is also there uh, with us through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we can get therapy. But that doesn't mean that, okay, well, I can just read the Bible and, you know, pray, and then everything's going to be fine all the time. You know, that's, that's ideal, but sometimes if we are so far down and we're, 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 we, we, we need someone to really kind of like, um, you know, thinking about the, the example of the paralytic who was on, 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 on the mat, and what, he had four friends, right? And they brought him 
to Jesus so that Jesus could speak the words of life. And so that's really what a good therapist does. They act like one of those four friends to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I know someone that does, and I want to point you to those principles. I want you to help connect you with the source of truth, the source of healing, and that is what a good therapist will do. Thank you for that. I just might mention also Luke chapter 3. All these people came out to, they wanted to change their mind. Well, John the Baptist said, you know, you need to repent, which means to change your mind. And you need to uh, be in remission, which means to put yourself, um, you know, take yourself out of bondage. Change your mind in a way to take yourself out of bondage. And there were groups that came out that kind of said, okay, just baptize us. And he said, no, 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 you're still kind of crooked. You're not, you're not, you're kind of demanding, you don't have the right attitude. And the ones he did baptize, they said, what must I do? And so they had this right attitude, what must I do? And then God used John the Baptist to actually specifically talk about specific things in their lives they needed to change. So that's a picture of God using a person to give therapy. His name was John the Baptist, and he wanted people to change their minds and didn't do things that went along with that. So that's exactly what you're saying. That kind of goes together. Okay, back to Dr. Nedley. Um, now we're going to move to the end of the alphabet. What are we going to talk about, Dr. Nedley? End of the alphabet. What do you think the question is? Z. Zinc. That's correct. If, if one wants to supplement with zinc, should supplementation with quercetin also be done along with it? How much zinc should I take a wink? I mean a week? How much? <laughs> this is almost rhymes. Zinc should I take per week? Um, and uh, you mentioned taking zinc to combat COVID-19. Yes, zinc is toxic uh, to viruses on contact. And I mentioned earlier how once it gets into the cell, it stops the replication of the virus. Uh, Cursetin has actually been shown to help open up the channels for zinc to get in. Uh, And so, yes, cursetin with zinc makes zinc more powerful. Uh, I prefer to, instead of swallowing, although if you're zinc deficient, you're going to have problems with this virus. And so uh, if you are zinc deficient, you need to be taking zinc supplements and probably at least 40 milligrams a day. How would you know that? Get a zinc test? Do you have those at Walmart? Where do you get that? Well, yeah, it would have to be a blood test. Or if you're not much into eating seeds, you know, seeds are one of the highest sources of zinc, pumpkin seeds. Uh, and there are people that just, they don't even eat seeds. They just pass those by. Uh, and uh, they could very likely be zinc deficient. Uh, but if, um, uh, if they are not zinc deficient or they're eating those type of seeds, uh, we actually recommend instead of taking the zinc by supplement to take it by lozenge, particularly at the first sign of a sore throat. Uh, and studies have actually shown some benefit because the zinc can actually come in contact with the virus that's there in the mucosa, even in the back of the the throat there, and start to do its work. And when the zinc concentration is high, we're going to get more of that effect. And so the zinc lozenge, the lozenges don't have to have a whole lot of zinc, you know, 2.5, some of them just have 5 milligrams. And uh, that, can, uh, that can really help set it back, and you could do multiple uh, zinc per day. One aspect of zinc that I would like to mention, because there's been some questions about this, there's also people freaking out over zinc toxicity with this. Uh, that's old information. 
We now know that zinc is not very toxic at all compared to a lot of these other metals. In fact, we have individuals due to genetic reasons that are taking 400 milligrams of zinc a day and they live long lives and they do very well. Uh, and so unlike other metals, zinc we can take in large amounts and so don't panic over the fact that you might get too much. One of the symptoms you'll have though from zinc that can be adverse is nausea and a metallic taste and so hopefully you're not getting that. You could back off if you are but um, you know, uh, taking more zinc during this time, particularly if you start to have symptoms, there's not an issue with that. Thank you. Um, okay, <clears throat> a couple here for Dr. Binus. How do I tell when someone has had a nervous breakdown? What symptoms should I look for? Thank you. All right, well, uh, nervous breakdown is an old, old term that people used to uh, use. And, um, but usually when people talk, talk about that now, it's related to the inability to function and do their normal um, activities. So, you know, maybe normally they're able to work or take care of their children, and they feel so overwhelmed by their anxiety uh, that they're able to think about very little else, and, and they feel like, you know what, um, I, I, I am completely incompetent. And so they have this um, very distorted view of themselves and over the, of their lives, and they basically cease from functioning um, normally. Okay, so that was too, too quick, so I'm going to give you another one. Um, not, I mean, it was a good answer, but I'm just saying. How can I help other people with stress and anxiety from a distance? Just sharing the information does not seem to be enough. They don't listen to it. They're not listening to me. Thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, we would all like it if people listened to, it, to us more, right? Because we, <laughs> we always have the right ideas. Um, well, you know, it, I really think that uh, it depends on who you're trying to help and what you want to really ask yourself and ask them is what would be helpful sometimes we assume that oh this person needs this and 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 but one of the most annoying things for people oftentimes is unsolicited advice or um, uh, unsolicited um, favors or you know things that that they they really don't need uh, or they really don't want and so one of the things that i think is most helpful is if we can actually ask someone what, what would be helpful for you right now? And, and of course, there's things that we want to largely avoid doing as far as uh, you know, physical contact and that sort of thing, unless it's in our immediate uh, family circle. But there's a whole lot that we can do, and there's still more that we can do than things that we can't do, if that makes sense. In other words, people are tending to focus, I think, nowadays on everything you can't do, but there's pl believe me, there's plenty we still can do um, for each other, for you know people in our immediate sphere and then even our extended sphere, whether it's uh, through um, media, um, you know, like uh, um, even video calling and that, that sort of thing, the, the good old-fashioned just telephone calls um, or, um, or, or, you know, a number of other things. But again, I think it's important to really explore what, what, they, what their felt need is. 
Okay, thank you uh, <clears throat> very much for that. Okay, Dr. Nelly, another one for you. We're moving now to a couple quick ones. <clears throat> I think they're quick. Can drinking cold water make you more susceptible to getting the virus? We want you to stay hydrated, and cold water is actually healthy for you. In fact, I could use some right now. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Okay, um, someone get the man some water, please. Get, get the doctor water, or we're going to call the ambulance right now. Uh, I, I heard of someone in the neighborhood that just, uh, he, he got called. Uh, the, the police came to his house, and they said, why are you here? They said, your neighbor heard you sneeze. So um, they might be on the way for you, Dr. Nelly. Can someone get him, can someone get him some water? Um, I think I've recovered. So Okay, he's recovered already. Okay, uh, then will, will, uh, will there eventually be a vaccine, and are vaccines safe to take? <laughs> That's a big question. It's going to make you cough again, probably. Eventually, uh, there will be a vaccine. How effective it is, we won't know, and often won't know until it's actually out. You know, the flu virus, <clears throat> uh, they make some good guesses. Uh, but with the mutations, um, they haven't really struck it very good very well lately. Uh, and um, we're really not sure about how effective this uh, vaccine is going to be. They're also not testing it necessarily on the people at highest risk to where we could actually see how effective it is. It's primarily young people in need of money that are being tested, and uh, those are individuals that... Um, that may not have succumbed anyways um, to the actual virus. Okay, so you answered another question, which was about mutations, and th those whoever sent that in, he answered your question too, even if you maybe weren't There's listening? over 100 mutations of this virus so far. Okay, and so you could get infected with one of the mutations was the question, and that answer is probably yes. Uh, well, um, okay, and I guess that bigger question was should you take vaccines? I know you're trying to dodge that question, but that's the question. <laughs> well, uh, vaccines are not necessarily always bad, uh, nor necessarily are they always good. Listen to that. Right there, that's Solomon right there. <laughs> Remember the cut, cut the baby in two? Right there. We just heard a Solomonic answer. Yes. Okay, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt Solomon here. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, it depends on, on how effective the vaccine is and how likely you are to come across it. Uh, I'm not necessarily, I mean, if it's not very effective, thank you very much. Um, and, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a, as effective as the um, flu virus vaccine has been lately, which has not been very effective, then I'm not necessarily into mandating that everybody in the world get this vaccine or else. I know there have been some talks in regards to mandating this. And uh, <clears throat> when we're mandating something that is um, questionable as far as which groups are going to benefit from it the most and what effects we might get that are not necessarily desired, um, we have to really think that through. But I think it's going to be very good to educate the public and let them decide, um, you know, in regards to this vaccine or what groups we would highly recommend it for. Okay, Dr. Binus, a large proportion of the healthcare workers who took care of the COVID-19 patients in China reported experiencing symptoms of depression, 50%, anxiety, 
45%. Insomnia, 34%. And psychological distress, 71.5%. What could be done to not have this outcome here? Well, it's a great question because oftentimes uh, those people that are in the fray um, of any crisis are the ones that um, suffer right along with those that are, are, are the victims. They're really the secondary victims of, um, of the crisis. And oftentimes um, we talk about first responders um, in this sort of scenario like uh, fire, firefighters and police officers and this sort of thing where they might be involved in, in a crisis and they're having to deal with um, a lot of people that maybe died or were severely wounded. And this can then often lead to um, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety disorders, uh, adjustment disorders, uh, depression, etc. One of the things that, that they found in helping people that are dealing with um, these sort of acute traumatic situations is critical incident incident uh, debriefing and so basically um, what they uh, can can do with that is is they um, help them to debrief about what happened because one of the aspects of dealing with any sort of trauma is that the brain has a very difficult time making sense of of uh, severe trauma it's like no this shouldn't happen this isn't the way that my worldview is, and, and, it, and it makes people feel very unsafe, like, and, they, and they start feeling like, wow, you know, my, my world is crumbling around me, bad things could happen to me at any time, and they have this sense of, of fear, and, uh, and then oftentimes that leads to the hopelessness and, and, and the depression. But w if you can actually debrief and process what the trauma that you've just experienced and, 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 the, and the crisis and, and help... Um, people to realize that life can actually move on and, and that this doesn't have to be like the new normal for your life now and that things aren't hopeless. And you actually help people to make some sense of this and, and develop, again, some, some framework to, to uh, live their lives moving forward and have this sense of that they're also not the only ones that are dealing with um, the symptoms they're dealing with, like, you know, which, which I mean, do you think it's, it's normal, by the way, to feel um, some anxiety and, and even some sadness, some depression when you're, when you're experiencing, when you're going through something like this? Absolutely. And so it's important to actually have these conversations with, with the healthcare providers, um, just like you would with, with the first responders, helping to normalize that, hey, th this is normal to be feeling anxious. This is normal to be feeling, having some feelings of depression, which is different than developing major depression. It's normal to be having a lot of negative emotions when you're dealing with this. I think it would actually be abnormal if you weren't having some, some, some uh, uh, negative emotions or difficult emotions come up. So as you talk about those normalized and then also help them to realize, hey, you're not alone. You're not the only one experiencing this and there's other people in the same boat. That actually is a huge help because one of the big things and the reasons that mental health problems really escalate is because people feel like, wow, no one can understand 
what I've, I've gone through. And no one can understand the emotions that I'm feeling right now. And so there's this huge sense of disconnection and, and aloneness that can come from that. And so again, the, the, uh, the debriefing, the normalizing, the, the connecting, and not to you know, just relive the trauma over and over again, but to process it and then move on and say that there is a new day, there is a new life, let's, let's move forward. And yes, that was hard, that was difficult, but let's see what we can learn from these experiences. You know, let's mourn what we need to, to mourn. Um, let's uh, you know, m- make changes where we've made mistakes, but let's move forward. Let's become stronger. Let's strengthen our bonds with each other, and most importantly, our bond with God. And then it doesn't have to be something that keeps people down and out. You know, a lot of times people actually um, learn the most and grow the most when they go through crises in their lives. Because it makes you reevaluate what's really important. And it makes you actually reconnect with the, the principles that are um, maybe you drifted from, that were maybe you got into things that, that were just not, um, that were distractions to what you really want to value. And so in the end, it can actually be a good thing. Thank you for that. Um, okay, we're just we're going to give each of you one more question, and then just wrap up. Uh, there's been so many excellent questions here. Some of which I just might say to those that your questions have not been answered. Some are asking, "How do I boost my immune system?" We have a whole series on TCIWeMar.org, going through how to boost your immune system, and we have a lot of um, a lot of videos there that you can watch. Um, with some of the other things that I'm just trying to make sure that we're covering stuff that maybe has not been covered before. Um, Dr. Nedley, um, there, um, um, will it be safe to, uh, I don't know, you, you probably can't answer this, but will it be safe to open up communities in a few weeks or will it be safer to quarantine? How long is this going to go on? Well, I can tell you based on the exponential curves that are developing in certain counties in America, we haven't peaked yet. Uh, And uh, the peak is going to be, you know, in some places uh, two weeks from now. In other places, it may be later than that. And then there may be places that haven't been even introduced yet that could peak, you know, even two months from now. And so I think it's going to be different in some areas of the country than others in regards to um, how long this goes on. And I know public health officials are going to be looking at um, that sort of thing um, because of the, the practicality as well, that we can't shut the country down indefinitely and, can, and can't continue to live like this the rest of our life. Uh, and, uh, and so we, there has to... Um, and of course, what public health officials are looking at is when we start to have the deceleration instead of the acceleration that's going on currently. And so uh, how long is this going to go on? Uh, it's going to uh, probably be going on until, um, in most places, till around the first part of May. Okay. Um, uh, thank you for that. I did get three more questions on NAC. Um, so, um, anyway, I'll, I'll ask you those later, and maybe we can get back to these people because we have their email addresses. So, I'm sure you're willing to answer those as well. 
Okay, uh, this one I just has to be answered, uh, Dr. Sabang, I mean, Dr. Binus. I've talked to a lot of doctors this week. <laughs> Dr. Binus. Um, <laughs> um, if God ha hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, then why do some people have anxiety disorders and panic attacks? The text says that God's going to take care of it. Why use medication at all if he'll fix it? Um, and if it's not his will for us to have these things, then why do so many have this ball and chain? And some have been carrying it like me for years. It's a great question. And sometimes we get in the mindset that, you know, if someone is taking medications or if they feel they cannot get off medication that some somehow it's just because they don't have enough faith and I think we need to be very you know compassionate uh, realizing that everyone is at a, a different place in their lives um, and also you know we all have different vulnerabilities and 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 some people are able to use um, you know the principles to get off all medication other people I've seen other people in my practice where they really are applying uh, the new star principles doing everything they possibly can and they still need a fair amount of medication and um, I don't think it's always obviously it's not ideal but again we need to be very very careful to how we judge others and also even how we judge ourselves when it comes to uh, medication you know the ideal is as far as using medication is to use it and this is my ideal uh, concept is like okay yeah sometimes we we need it where where uh, things get when things get really bad kind of like okay if you break a leg then you need a cast and and crutches um, but you, you don't your the the goal is not to stay on the cast and crutches forever to heal the medication can in a similar way kind of help stabilize people when they're in a crisis but then over time as you're able to implement the um, healthy principles that God has given us, then you need less and less medication. And I think in general that's, that's true, but again, I want to be very careful and sensitive how I say that because I have seen people that are really trying um, their hardest and uh, still, uh, and, and really utilizing the different principles. Now, one of the you know, questions that, that comes up, like why do Christians still then get anxiety and this sort of thing? And and, and, and I think that that's a very complex answer, but one, one of the things I will say is, you know, we, we live in a very sinful world, and, and so we all do have, every generation has more and more genetic um, predispositions towards problems, so that's, that's one aspect. But a second aspect is that um, sometimes, even if we are Christians, it's very easy to um, lose sight of, of Christ. In other words, it's very easy to get focused on, on ourselves. And um, the Bible says that you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so that is oftentimes the most important antidote, you know, when it comes, comes to fear. Um, yes, God has not given us the, that spirit of fear, but we need to really intentionally choose to, and that's where, you know, if we, we look at that the verse, it says power, and of love and of, of a sound mind, well, he's given us the power of choice so that we can do what? So that we can be introduced to that love that he wants to give us, and that's what helps dispel the fear and then, in turn, um, gives us that sound mind. Thank you. That's beautiful. 
Dr. Nedley, any closing thoughts that you would uh, you would like to share? I, I have you know other questions. Some of them are like hydrotherapy. We have that on the TCI um, uh, Weimar.org on how to boost your immunity. Um, uh, is UV light effective in killing the virus or viruses? Uh, uh, ultraviolet light uh, can uh, kill it with the right. Uh, intensity, um, it's heat labile as well. So how hot, someone else said, how hot does it have to be and where do I put that heat? Well, it, uh, it doesn't uh, have to be boiling, uh, so, uh, which is fortunate. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but it does have to be hot as far as how hot it has to be to destroy this virus. We're looking at 70 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, we do have some presentations on that as well on the uh, boosting immunity tsiweimar.org. Um, thank you both for coming in. You know, we we should probably wrap this up with just a spiritual thought as well, because this is a you know the peace that passes understanding. Um, uh, Christ Himself and God Himself. You know, uh, great peace have they which love Thy law, and nothing shall offend them. There's Many texts about peace. We'll talk about some of those tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We'll talk at some of those at 11 o'clock. We'll, we'll continue on with uh, some spiritual resources. But you mentioned one, Isaiah. Uh, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. His mind is staying on thee because he trusts in thee. Do you have any other favorite texts you like that are dealing with uh, uh, stress and anxiety? And Dr. Nelly, do you have any favorite texts? Yeah, I definitely uh, do. Uh, one of the uh, chapters that I've been pointing a lot of people uh, to this week is, is Psalm 91 that talks about how God wants to shelter us in, in that secret place of, of the Most High. And, and, you know, sometimes we think that secret place is just in uh, our devotions and that sort of thing. But, you know, the secret place, I, I believe, is that special secret relationship that he that unique relationship that he has with us with each one of us and that that secret place can actually it can be with us and go go with us where wherever we are and you know oftentimes when i'm talking with patients for example um i have i go to my secret place like i'm ta- i'm having a backdoor conversation with God while I'm talking with with the patient. And so realizing that God is with us all the time, that because of that, we don't need to fear that there's nothing that will happen to us that is not, that he's not sovereign over and that he cannot bring good out of. That is what keeps us in that place of peace. So Psalm 91, you know, it's a beautiful chapter because it talks about um, the pestilence and how God is going to, you know, guard us from from that. And again, that doesn't mean that if if we get sick or something like that, that you know God's not protecting us. But we can trust that He knows what's 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 best for us. Um, uh, another psalm I read this week was Psalm 32, um, very encouraging psalm. And and I could go on. I mean, there's so many beautiful, encouraging. Uh, Bible text that we can rest our hope on, and I think that's one of the most important things that we do um, frequently throughout the day, especially at a time like this, that we um, bring our mind back, because it's so easy to get distracted by all, all, all the fear, and we need to just bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, and that's what's going to bring us that peace. Yeah. 
Any favorite you have? Well, the, uh, the text for this crisis is Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed. During this little moment in time in our life, let's focus on the priorities until the indignation be overpassed. Get very um, serious in regards to your devotional life and your relationship with the Lord. Don't let the media, don't let uh, all of the distractions of the internet and the news take us away from really uh, focusing in on the number one priority. And that's something I have to follow my own advice in. You know, uh, since I'm a physician and I treat this, I have a desire to learn as much as I can about it. But I realize there's something even more important than me learning everything there is to learn about COVID-19. And that is in regards to the most important things in life. And so let this time be to refocus you on the most important things in your life. Because the indignation will be overpassed, and we can come through this far stronger if we follow that counsel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you can give us the peace that passes understanding. We want to understand more about you and more about your love. We ask that you would come close to each person that's struggling physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually tonight, that there would be something in tonight's um, gathering and the wisdom that was shared that could uh, lead to that next step and that hope would be stirred and that there would be a will to go forward and also a way to go forward that was seen tonight. And if not, we ask that you would, uh, you would make that happen for each person. And we thank you and we come in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.